0: Hey dancers, welcome to the show. I'm Julie and I'm your host today on this episode of Broche Banter. I both own and teach at Broche Ballet, a ballet school just for adults in Denver, Colorado and virtually online. Join us as we explore all things adult ballet. Today on the show, we have Kristen, a writer, quilter and dancer who started ballet as a grown-up. On this episode, we talk about having kids and finding time for yourself, the power of being okay with being a beginner and her journey from student to teacher. Enjoy! Well, Kristen, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to get to chat with you today. Um, We're going to talk all about beginning ballet, teaching, and everything in between. Sounds like fun. Awesome. Um, So, you started ballet as an adult. Um, Had you danced before at all in the past? So, I started ballet when I was, I think I was like 31, and I had done tap dancing, um, I started that also as an adult. Um, I started that um, midway through college. Um, I got inspired to start tapping because I went to see Stomp, which ironically has no tap dancing in <laughs> it at all. Um, so I tap danced for a little bit, just on and off in college, um, a little bit after that, but I didn't really start um, tapping until I was probably 29. Um, and then I fell into ballet. So I, I really hadn't, I didn't dance as a kid. I didn't dance as a teenager. Um, dance was entirely new to me. Um, and for a long time I thought, Oh, this is like a nice hobby that I can do. But then I like was too obsessed with it for it to be a hobby. (laughs) So I was like, Oh, I guess I should take myself seriously. (laughs) What? So, okay. So just got to back up for a sec. What kind of dancing is it? If not tap dancing and stomp? um it's uh it's mostly like body percussion and percussion like I mean they're dancing they're moving right yeah but they're not they're not making sounds with their feet they're mostly like oh. um like they have a matchbox and they have a you know a like tube or whatever and... I'm not sure I realized that I've seen stomp and I loved it I saw it when I went yeah. to New York City as a teenager and it was like mind earth shattering I mean it was amazing. Yeah. But I actually yeah. don't think all this time that I ever put it together that they were not making with <laughs> their feet. <laughs> I mean, they would like stomp their feet and everything, but they had didn't have tap shoes on and it wasn't like tap steps. Right. It was just making rhythm. Yeah. So. Wow. Amazing. But that, it, that was it. I was like, I will be a tap dancer now. <laughs> how funny. I, I would have guessed it was, t- if you would asked me, I would have guessed tap dancing. That's so no, funny. No, oh, no. Man. I know it's not. So tap dancing is then defined as tapping with your feet specifically and not yeah. body percussion. Yeah, I think Even body percussion. Yeah, and I definitely. think, I mean, uh, like many, 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 many tap dancers also do body percussion, um, but that is not a prerequisite to tap dance. How funny! And it's yeah. stop. Like you said, very ironic. Right, <laughs> <don't>. just blown. <laughs> yeah. So you figured out that you like dance enough to take yourself seriously. What does it mean yeah. to start taking yourself seriously? What did that mean for you? Oh. <sighs> um. Yeah, I feel like that's like such a really profound question. Um, And I like recently during this pandemic have been really like extra extra thinking about taking myself seriously. Um, I think the biggest thing was like getting over the fear that like, people would make fun of me if I took myself seriously that like, I'm walking around like I'm a dancer, look at me, I'm a dancer and everyone would be like, Uh, no, you're not. (laughs) Right. And that's like a really big, scary thing, especially like with your family, when you you want their support and then you tell them you're doing something and they're like, okay, get a real job, you know? So that, that's what that means. Um, so like like deep, deep down, but I think it also, I think it also just means like, what, what is the journey? Like there, there has to be like some goal and some arc and some goals. And, um, so like, do I need to start a business? Do I need to get an LLC? Do I need a website? Do I need an Instagram account? Like what, what do like, what do like serious artists do to, to make a living at this? And so that, that also is very much like the practical side of hmm. taking myself seriously. Hmm. And so in the studio, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're saying that if you, if you really go for it, if you like put yourself out there, then people might if you really, if you really take yourself seriously and go for the emotion and go for the feeling that that is kind of the scary feeling that you're identifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we all, I think we all make judgments about what people do with their free time. And we all know the word hobby and we all get what that means. And it's like something you do, but like, you don't take yourself too seriously. And it's like, you know, your Saturday afternoon thing that you do. But and, and it's almost like a derogatory thing. Like, yeah. right, you, if someone's like, "You're a ho- oh, you're a hobby pianist or whatever, oh, you're like a hobby carpenter. And it's sort of like, well, you know, that's isn't that cute that you do that? Yes. Um, <laughs> but then when you, like, if you take yourself seriously, like, in the studio and you, like, smear your heart all over the stage and you really, like, put yourself into it, the vulnerability required to do that for someone to then be like, Oh, isn't that cute? She's got a little hobby. (laughs) Like that is like crushing, it's crushing. And so that's the kind of fear we're talking about is like, I'm, I'm going to go for this and I'm going to really try to make a go at it, but you're not going to take it seriously. And you're going to think that I'm being ridiculous. So yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny? The word hobby is so loaded. I hear it, especially as like, I've never identified ballet as a hobby. I've done it on the side of my life, but to hear it called a hobby has always been like a little stinging to me as well. So it's interesting to hear you put that in words because I never really explored it. I've just actively ignored the word hobby and sort of put it out there because it never felt like what I was doing. Right, right. And I, yeah, Go ahead. I also, so I also quilt on this side. And um, in front of one for those watching on video. I made that, yeah, I made that. Actually, I made that for my husband when he was my boyfriend and I gave it to him and I said, I really like this quilt and I want it back. And so I think I should marry him. And then, and then I you can have it back. back. And then what is his anymore? And now it's in my studio. There it is. Um, oh, no, funny. but like the word craft, right? Craft is another one of those like dirty words. That's like, oh, she does arts and crafts. She like makes things out of popsicle sticks, you know? And pipe cleaners. <laughs> and pipe cleaners. And so um, there's like a huge divide in that, the art community as to whether like quilting is art or if it's mm. a craft and I always was just like don't call it a craft because it's demeaning like don't call this a hobby like I do this I'd like sell these or like I'm trying to <laughs> you know and so there's like lots of little words that that make it sound like it's not serious even like adult ballet I feel like is another one of those words where like um you you are like walking a fine line between people who think that adult ballet is like a real serious thing like we're doing at Broche, and then it's like, oh, isn't that cute? Like adults are trying to do ballet. Uh, yeah. and, um, and I hate that, like it, mm-hmm. I don't like that divide, but but there's that judgment out there. Right, yeah, the language is really important how we identify, I mean, I think, um, I had a teacher once, Kat um, Wildish actually, she's been in New York City, she's amazing, amazing, super fun teacher and she would always call us dancers, always, always, many, many yeah. times in a class. And when I had first started ballet, I felt awkward being addressed as a dancer. And I felt like, is she talking to me? I'm not a dancer. I'm not yet a dancer. Who is she talking to in the class? And I always felt super awkward being called a dancer because yeah. I didn't call myself a dancer. And so I, uh, it was always weird that she would address me as a dancer. But then over time, I was like, oh, I am dancing. Therefore, I am a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> sort of. It can be your identity, Solitaire. even if you're not doing it professionally or whatever. It can still be your identity. Right. And so now I call my dancers dancers and I'm like, okay, dancers, because I think it was really important yeah. for me to have someone reinforce that and sort of give me permission to say, you can call yourself this. You can well, be- yeah. And I think that's like naming, naming it and, and calling ourselves that is extraordinarily powerful. Um, so I will talk about this later, but I quit my job as a teacher um, to become a dancer a high school teacher, and um, yeah. right. a high school history yeah. teacher. Um, and when I first quit my job, people are like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like I'm going to, I'm going to quilt and I'm going to write and I'm going to dance. And that's scary. they were, they were, yeah. And they they were kind of like, well, okay. Like that's not a job. And so then I like went and I was like, okay, I'm gonna take myself seriously. So I went and made myself some business cards and there was this like moment of truth where I like had to put on my business card, like what I did. Oh. And I wanted to, I wanted to put down like retired high school history teacher <laughs> or like searching at 35, you know, like I had all these like things that I was going to put on there that were not calling myself a dancer, a writer and a quilter. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and so I was like about to hit publish, you know, and get my business card sent. And I was like, you know what, screw it. Like I have to own this. And so I put on that business card, writer, dancer, quilter. And I was like, like panic attack that I had like done something wrong, that I had like claimed this thing that wasn't actually mine yet. Mm. But it's important for us to claim that because a writer writes and I write and a dancer dances and I dance. So what else am I going to call myself? And what else should we all call ourselves if we, if we do these things that we love? Where were you? See, had you already, how old were your kids at that point? Had you had kids at that point? Where were they in your life? Yeah, they were like blessedly at the moment where they were just about to start um, elementary school. Um, So they were yeah because you it's finding time to like do things when they're around is really hard so they were i, I was just about to be gifted with a bunch of time I think um, so i think oliver was going into ece and tristan was in first grade I um see. yeah but but yeah like reinventing yourself and like starting a new job with like two small children after you have like a degree i have a master's degree in history and like then i was like okay i'm done with that like let's have a new life <laughs> terrifying. It's pretty terrifying. And then you almost feel like you need to make it work because you've claimed or like you almost need to make it work because otherwise people are oh, like, yeah. Oh, you, I told you you couldn't be a writer. Did you have any of that? Oh gosh. I work so hard. I still do. I still work so hard to prove mm-hmm. myself. And, and I think I get panicked when like, I'm not achieving the success that other people are expecting, you know? So I'll like be at parties and I'm talking, not that I go to parties. Why don't I say that? I'm talking to people <laughs> i don't know what a party is um people ask me what i do and i say like "Oh, i'm a writer and they're like oh what have you published i'm like well nothing and then you know i'll say i'm also a dancer they're like oh you know what company do you dance with i was like oh well i am uh, i teach <laughs> oh. and then i'm a quilter oh you know like what have you sold i was like well, I, my dad bought something once <laughs> and so it's like how do i like yeah you know present this like confident body to the world that I am doing these things without like the traditional markers of success. But then if, but if you ask me, I'm like the happiest I've ever been in my whole life. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm bringing happiness to other people who want the same things that I do. And so that, that's like a huge success, but that's not how society measures success. Right. And I guess, why does it matter, um, what society thinks about your success? It doesn't, it doesn't, except that those little voices get in your head and they're like, Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it so. does in the sense that it does when we begin ballet as adults, too, because those little voices, those societal voices, as you mentioned, with adult ballet being like not real ballet or whatever, that little right. voice is already telling you you're not cut out for this. And then you're like, okay, oh, God. Oh. and then you add to the like, the invisible voices, all the actual voices of all the actual people who have said, you're too tall to do ballet, you're too heavy to do ballet, you're too old to do ballet, you know, like all there's people who people who actually said those things to you. Mm-hmm. And so then... You know, how do you how do you how do you deal with all that? It's a lot to deal with. Yeah. It's a lot to deal with. But it's um, is it worth it? Oh my god. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) That's the ultimate question, right? It is. It is the ultimate question. Why is it worth it? I think I mean you have to really I think you just have to have a real serious conversation with yourself and say like, what am I doing here on this planet? And for like some of my family members, it's like making money and being prestigious. And that's like it for them. And that's great. Fine. Like, go do that. That's like, not what it is for me. And I was like, never, I was never going to make money and be prestigious. I was a high school history teacher. right? Right. (laughs) Right. And so that, that never was important to me. And being happy is like tremendously, extraordinarily important. Um, and people think, You need to give back and you need to you know be a doctor and all this stuff it's like well i'm happy and that means that i ripple happiness to other people who get happy and ripple happiness to other people and like if we were all happier maybe we wouldn't have wars or conflict or i don't know all those things i think it's really important it's hard i think for us maybe even especially as women or as mothers in your case to be okay with that sort of selfish notion or what we would call selfish (laughs) of I'm doing this for me so that I can be happy and that in and of itself creates value for the world does it does it create our own happiness yeah I mean I tell my family all the time like if mommy's cup is not full no one is happy (laughs) and they see that like they get it like I am more patient I am more caring and focused on them if my cup is full and like my cup is not full just like sitting around watching them play and I that's Mm -hmm. like I feel terrible saying that like where people will hear me, but like, I am, I'm not that kind of mom and I never have been. And, and maybe that quote makes me a bad mom, but like, I am a human being and I am as important as my children. And I get, I get to have the same things that they get, which is like a chance at working and a chance at playing and a chance at like fulfilling dreams. And, and I, I project the idea that as a mother or as a woman or whatever, that like somehow we have to like self-sacrifice in order to make the world a better place by raising contented children. Like I want to be content. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's really powerful. I don't think I've ever heard it put like that, that I am as important as my children. I think that's a fascinating Uh, notion that is, I'm sure very difficult to accept because there's so much pressure to put them first at all costs. Um, but I, it's, it's not necessarily the case. I mean, after your kids grow up and go, you have to still be a whole person. You have to still be a whole person for your husband and for your family and not be, not have a piece of you missing. Well, and I think that's like the the whole idea of like the empty nester and people like panicking when your kids are going to leave the house is somehow like I've, I've done nothing for 18 years and now I have to somehow reinvent myself. I'm like, I don't subscribe to that at all. I also don't subscribe to the idea that you wait to fulfill your dreams until after you retire. Right. Like that's who we also, um, and, and this is like really an American notion, like in Europe, the many countries in Europe don't feel this way. Like, um, I read a parent, the only parenting book I read was this French woman Well, she was American, but she was raising her kids in France. She's like, you know, after the kids go to bed, you like hide their toys. So you like pretend like they don't even exist so that you can be a grown up you know? Mm-hmm. And like, that's fine. And in America, I feel like people would be like, oh, like you want to pretend that your kids don't exist. That's so awful. But, but that, ha- but right. I, we have to have that. Right. Well, and your kids also should probably see an example of what a whole person looks like so that they can look right. up to being one themselves. Exactly. And not just, yeah. Um. So we lose on the topic of moms. We lose a lot of moms during this phase when they have kids, we lose in them in the ballet studio we lose them because life is all consuming when you have kids and as you mentioned it's hard to get things done when the kids are around and childcare is expensive and can you get an hour and a half away from the kids and all of these things um do you have any how how do you how do you balance that should you take a break from dance during the kids I mean everyone's going to be different but tell us about your experience in terms of how you fit your passions into your life with kids yeah I um when I, when I first had kids and when I was still teaching high school, I went to one hour a week of dance class. And it was like literally the thing that got me through the week. Like the whole week was horrible, except for one hour with my tap teacher. Um, and over time I realized like, that's not okay. That's, that's not how life should be. It should not be that that one hour a week is, um, is everything. mm mm-hmm but that was great because it was a manageable one hour a week and my husband could take the kids and it wasn't a big deal. Um, and then, and you know, it just happened to be that I transitioned into doing dance a lot more frequently when they were old enough to like put their shoes on and right. go to school and things like that. And so I thought, I don't know, like if I had wanted to do this much like creative production, um and teaching and all that stuff as as a brand new mom i I don't know i don't know if i would have been able to and my husband is much more willing than many husbands to like take the kids because he appreciates that i need these things too yeah so i don't know i i mean it's always so easy to say like oh i did it so everyone else should be able to do it but like whoo i don't know like though there's everyone's it's hard. And, and I think listening to the voices of like my, even my mother-in-law was very much like, Oh, you know, you probably should stay home and have kids and be with the kids. And it's like, Oh, oh, (laughs) I want, I want more Mm. than that. And so, you know, the people you are, people you love are telling you, yeah, you need to stay home and be with your kids. Then if you sneak away, there's so much guilt of guilt of like leaving your kids behind so that you can go do something for yourself. is tremendous. Mm, That's intense. Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm very curious to see how the, the rise of the online ballet classes helps the month, the yeah. mom population, because yeah. even in our online classes, we have a handful of new moms who I would have never seen in the studio. They would have never come to, been able to come to the studio. There's yeah. a kid running around their, their studio. <laughs> and it's like, I don't care if you can, if you can enjoy it still with your kid with you, then that yeah. is more power to you. That's amazing. Like do it. God. Do it. Find the time. If you can only join for half of it because your kid needs your attention after half of it, you still got half of it. Like that's still amazing, but you wouldn't necessarily be able to do that in the studio. I agree. I think this is a godsend. And I, I really think um tradition the way dance is traditionally taught is very unfriendly to moms. And totally. um even even the way like Broche has been really good about letting like if you need to bring your kid to class, like broche is really good about that. But, but even then, I think there's still a little guilt and people like apologize if their yeah. kids or whatever. Um, and so like this innovation of teaching, letting people teach, and take class in their homes with their cameras off or whatever they need to do. Like that's revolutionary. And I really do think that that's um, going to be a big development for moms. Yeah. And even just the ability to do a shorter class because you don't have to put the effort into commute and to get a babysitter and feel like yeah. you have to make it worth your time. You can do a 20 minute class because you just opened your computer and you had 20 minutes and then you can go back to whatever you needed to do. So exactly. I hope that that will enable moms to, to, to be more present in the community and not have to lose themselves as much during that period of time. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a lot of grief when moms come back from having babies and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I've got to get my body back and all this stuff. And, and that's oh. like a really, that's like such a hard transition for people. Um, and if it doesn't have to be such a hard black and white transition, I think that would be, it would make a big difference. That would be hard. the The concept of getting your body back. I mean, a lot of dancers are going through that right now with the concept of getting your body back after the coronavirus, right? Absolutely. So, how do you, is the feeling of loss actually similar? I mean, I've never experienced. I don't have kids. I've never experienced getting my body back after that. Um, is that feeling yeah. actually similar to this, or oh is it totally God, different? It's, to- it's so sim. It's so similar. Mm. Um, I think the hard thing is that, like, because I didn't dance before I had kids, it's not like I had anything to compare it to. I but I did have like the numbers on the scale. I mean, I gained 55 pounds of each kid, which is like a lot of weight. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you like lose some of that right away, but then like the last 10 pounds you just like never can get rid of. Um, and so, yeah, there's this like sense of loss that everything's like misshapen and it doesn't look the way it used to. And there's stretch marks everywhere and you're still 10 pounds too heavy. And and, and there's despair that like it'll never be that way and that's exactly how people are feeling after the coronavirus is like how how do I how do I get my strength back how do I get my flexibility back and so yeah that, that those transitions are hard and and online classes are like a way of sort of trying to make that bridge for people intense no matter how you slice it Oof. true <laughs> <laughs> very intense um, I want to get a little bit into your transition to teaching. So um, I'll just give the listeners a little background. So Kristen started with our studio as a dancer. And after, I don't know, a year maybe, would you say? Yeah, about that. Six months or a year, I don't know. Um, she didn't start ballet with us for the first time, but after about six or eight months of being in the studio with us, we invited Kristen to be a teacher of our beginner dancers um, to help um, grow our next you know, generation of, of new dancers. Um, and so we transitioned together she still is a dancer with us, but also now is a teacher as well. And so we've made that transition together, which mm-hmm. is very, would have been very exciting. Um, how, how has it been? H- has it changed your dancing? Has it changed your outlook? What, what was that like? Um, it's, uh, it's like been life changing and amazing. Um, it's funny. So when I, when I taught high school, um, I, So I taught high school for the very first time in inner city, Los Angeles. And so it was like, obviously a super rough time and a lot of kids like super low skill level, like had not had any good history before that. And so they were just super not engaged and kind of lost and um, needed me to explain things a lot, a lot of different ways. And so I got pretty good at like creative ways of, of explaining things. But in the process of teaching and coming up with these creative ways of explaining things, I realized that I learned the history myself so much better when I taught it than when I just listened to it in a class. And I was a very engaged history student. I like, I literally outlined the entire textbook I was in high school because I loved it so much. But I'd never learned history nearly as well as I did when I was teaching in Los Angeles, because I was teaching, I had to like break it down and explain it and figure out ways for them to, um, you know, get it in a lot of, from a lot of different angles cause they were having trouble with that. Um, and so that is exactly what I'm experiencing with this dance shift from being a, a dancer to a teacher is that my own ballet practice is like tremendously improved by teaching it because i am explaining it in a lot of different ways from a lot of different angles just Mm -hmm. like i did with my high school students how do you do a tendu and if it doesn't make sense to them how else can i explain it and the more i explain it and the more i show them and the more i practice the better i get as a dancer and so it's like the best thing ever is like getting to sort of double practice (laughs) and get paid for it So why did you bother? Why did you bother trying to explain things in so many different ways, either to the teenagers or to the dancers? Um, why? Why? Bo- that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I think um, with my high school students, uh, if they were not engaged and they didn't get it, then they made my life a living hell. <laughs> so it was like they either got it and were engaged, or I was going to quit. Because it was so hard, and the behavior problems were like so tremendously Mm. psychologically difficult for me. Like I, I mean, like kids with ankle bracelets. This one kid, like, used to um, shoot at me with like invisible guns. Like he would like look at me and he'd go. That's really you know yeah, it was really creepy. So like things like that. So if you're not reaching those people in some way, they're like sitting in the back, flipping you off. And so that was not gonna fly with me. So I needed something to get them engaged. I also just like genuinely love history and I genuinely love kids. And I really wanted them to get it because I wanted them to love history as much as I did. Cause I knew that they had had really bad teachers. And with ballet, like I love ballet and I want people to get it as much as I do. And I want them to fall in love with it as much as I do. Maybe so I don't feel so alone in my, like, horrible obsession. (laughs) Other people are obsessed, too. Um, Right, it's normal. (laughs) And so it's easier. It's it's more work in a way, but in a way it's easier because then you have someone along on your journey with you who loves it as much as you do, and you're sharing something with, you have this connection with someone because they get it and you get it. And all it took was, like, explaining it a different way or five different ways (laughs) or whatever it took. (laughs) Right. It's, it's, I guess you, if, if they don't get it, they're not on the journey with you. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, if you, if you just think about all the things we love this life as a journey and how, like, you know, you and me, Julie, like our journeys, like went like this, Oh, and it's some, someday they'll go in different directions, you know? And so like walking with someone along your journey is so powerful. And I think we see that in this coronavirus time when we can't be with each other, how devastating it is to to be alone on our journeys and not have people with us. And so I, you know, I don't need everyone to have my journey. I don't want them to have my journey, it's my journey. But I need you to like walk with me on the same path for a little while so I don't feel lonely and so you don't feel lonely and so that we can hold hands and say like, this is special. Yeah, do do you find that adult, that high school kids or adults need that does one group need that more than the other or does everyone as a human need that the same amount? Yeah, I think everyone as a human needs that. And I, it's so funny because when I was teaching high school, I was like, this, this is the most important job in the world. Like I am the most crucial link in like the history of the world because I am taking young people and I am turning them into adults. And that's so important. And then I quit and I was like, oh, I don't have to (laughs) reevaluate that. Oh no. (laughs) And then I started teaching adults and I was like, you know what? There's a trickle down effect here, right? Like if adults are fulfilled and happy and satisfied, that trickles down to their kids. And Mm -hmm. so many of the problems I saw in high school wasn't really about the kid. It was about their parents who like work 10 jobs or they are in jail or they have um, substance abuse problems because they're not happy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if parents aren't happy, kids aren't happy. And Mm -hmm. so, yes, it's good to help kids, but like, really, it's good to help anybody. And we all need validation. And we all, we all go into the studio and look in the mirror and judge our bodies. And we all have these like, petty, catty thoughts. And we all need our mommies, you know, it's like, that doesn't ever change. (laughs) So true. So true. And I think as teachers in the studio, sometimes it can feel like we're the mom of the of our dancers, even if they're older than us, or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. You still feel like you're helping them on their journey to finding happiness and fulfillment themselves. Totally. Totally. And I always say like, Oh, I'm so proud of you. And then I'm like, Oh, is that condescending? <laughs> like I'm trying to be their mother, but like I am, I do, I do feel motherly yeah. pride for them because they faced a challenge and they like crushed it. And, and I was there to witness it. And that's pretty darn cool. It was funny when I started teaching, I was, I don't know, mid twenties maybe. And you know, teaching people who are older than me I assumed that they had more of their life together than I did and what you know <laughs> I assumed that they were already like whole people and you know you you sort of assume when you're a kid that everyone older than you is a whole person and you're <laughs> going to get there one day or whatever you know what I'm saying it's kind of a funny totally. so the yeah. older you get you're like hmm <laughs> fascinating no one is really like everyone's still figuring it out yeah. right and so it's it's been fascinating to watch people figure that out through the classes and through the studio where you watch someone come in not whole and you watch them leave as a whole person so true oh I just got chills like I got oh. chills thinking about that <laughs> because it's so true and like when I started ballet I like was so just dis- disillusioned with my body like I'm six foot two so I'm like really enormous and um people were always like oh you know stand in the back be invisible like you know try to be smaller and so I came in there with like really bad posture and really like bad self-esteem and just feeling terrible about myself. And then like, oh my gosh, like what ballet has given me as an adult, you know, I came in as an adult, I still am an adult and I am like a totally different adult than I was. And so much of it has to do with what you learn in the studio, what you learn about yourself, what you like throw out and what you keep and what you build. And it's just such a big growth and it doesn't matter what age you are, that happens no matter what. There's always growing to be had. Absolutely, never an end. And that's why we like ballet so much. Amen. <laughs> <is No>. <laughs> um, one last question for you, Kristen. Um, starting ballet is really scary because oh. starting stuff as an adult is scary, and you you know you don't want to be a child or like we talked about, you don't want to be not taken seriously or whatever it is. So, what right. you, what's your what's your parting wisdom for people who are like listening to this? thinking about getting back to the bar. They're like, I haven't done ballet in 20 years. I want to get back to it. Or I've always wanted to, these people seem inspiring. Maybe I can do it, but I'm still super scared. What (laughs) what last wisdom do you have to leave them with? I think what you just said is really important to acknowledge, like that you're scared, that it's scary. And, and like, no one, no one should ever tell you it's not scary. And you should never try to deny that it's not scary. Like there's, it's, it takes vulnerability. It takes courage. It takes determination. It takes falling down and getting up again. Like all of that is true. And that is that, it, that has to be acknowledged. But I think what I would say is that like literally there's only once you get one shot at this and you don't even know how long you've got. Um, my mom died at 59 and man, that just really lit a fire under my pants that like, I'm not, you know, you don't get to say, Oh, I'll start belly when I'm 60. Well, she wouldn't have cut to do that. Um, and you, know, you say, Oh, well, it's too late. It's too late for me now. Well, if you start today versus tomorrow, then you are one day ahead of where you would have been if you hadn't started. So there's really like nothing, there's no, there's nothing to lose except for some fears that are okay to lose and some vulnerability, which is okay to have. Um, there's, there's nothing to lose and everything to lose if you never get around to it. So true. Just yeah. Get in there and get started. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? The worst thing happens. You go in there. and You're like, Oh yeah, this totally isn't for me. Then like, go play field hockey or what, like whatever. Go find something else. But you might as well try. And you and who knows? Maybe it'll like change your life, like it changed mine. <laughs> Well, Kristen, I could literally talk to you for 12 hours and- I hope we do someday. <laughs> <laughs> we could literally, I'm not a night person, but I'm sure our conversation would go into the night. I would make yeah, an exception. we could exception. have a, we'll have a slumber party. Okay. You and That's me. That's great. Right. Well, I would, I would make an exception to have a conversation with you, <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> You're very sweet. But it was very, very fun to chat with you. i we, we hardly talked about ballet, but we talked about ballet in the deepest of ways. Yeah, we did. Um, we did. I think all of this is ballet. It's- it's so much more than dance. It's it's really just becoming who you who you want to be and becoming Amen. you as a human being. Um and that's really really been awesome to share with you along this journey, especially because we are very much kindred spirits. Amen. And it's um it's just so wonderful that Broche Ballet let's adults explore these things and it doesn't have to just be about ballet like the that broche gets that it's about more than ballet it's about deep deep down human being stuff that's right human adulting all that stuff (laughs) all of the stuff (laughs) um well i we'll just keep dancing we'll keep dancing as long as as long as we want as long as it makes us happy and whole and uh we'll just keep having fun with it oh i can't wait (laughs) Well, thanks for being on the show, Kristen. Thanks for having me, Julie. It's been a pleasure. So fun. Thanks for listening today, dancers. For more adult ballet, you can follow our studio on Instagram and Facebook at Roche Ballet. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie the Ballerina. Or check out our blog and YouTube channels for even more content. You can also dance with us in our online studio. To have your story featured on our podcast, email us at hello at brochballet.com. Today's show was produced by Jackie Dolman. I'm Julie Gill and this was Broche banter Happy dancing.